From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. And this week, it's great to have CPR's Ben Marcus with us. Hey, this is my third time being on Purplish, so I'm honored. Thank you for having me. Wow. Well, thanks. You're a veteran. And, um, Not and, that um, it's this... a competition. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> and for this episode of Purplish, we are trying something new and necessary. We're recording this podcast remotely, so that means all three of us are at our separate homes and Typically, we're sitting in a studio booth right next to each other. That's right. It's a pretty cramped space. It was getting uncomfortable. I'm in a cramped space now. I'm underneath like several blankets in my my home office. I drew an on-air sign for my bedroom door, so we'll see if my uh, five-year-old daughter even respects that. I'll be really impressed if she does. (laughs) I told her, this is an on-air sign. You cannot come in here. Daddy is recording a show. All right. For, for this episode, we have a lot to unpack looking at everything that's changed in Colorado since we last talked. To deal with the coronavirus pandemic, Governor Jared Polis has been issuing orders that would have seemed inconceivable just a few weeks ago. He's closed schools and industries. And on the hmm. day we're recording this episode, his statewide stay-at-home order went into effect. Yeah, we just got all the alerts on our phones. And we'll be looking at what all of this means for the legislative session, which is temporarily paused, Colorado's budget and economy, what we're hearing from politicians and Coloradans. I can't think of a news time that was as busy as the last few weeks, other than maybe 2012 when we had the Aurora Theater shooting, the presidential campaign, all of the wildfires. It's just been a a very crazy time. It really has. This is a story that, that's just drawing everything into it. It's affecting every single aspect of society. We are recording this episode on the morning of Thursday, March 26th. With how fast things are moving right now, there could well be new developments by the time you're listening to this. So we're at the point in the episode where we bring up our hot bills section, where we highlight some of the measures that are getting clicks on the website. But that was pre-coronavirus. Yeah, you know, it's good to keep some routines, like uh, pants, for example, but, you know, this one is just impossible to keep because state lawmakers have temporarily stopped the session, and there's not really much to keep up with. Although, Andy, I want to note that one of the most viewed bills right now is the measure to repeal the death penalty, which just became law. Governor Polis signed it, and at the same time, he commuted the sentences of the three men on death row to life in prison without parole. Yeah, that was interesting to see because, you know, it would have been this big historic moment normally, and instead it happened via a press release, uh, which kind of denied some of the the reformers a chance to celebrate. And then it also gave ammunition to critics who who were trying to argue, like District Attorney George Brockler, trying to argue that Polis had commuted these sentences under the cover of the pandemic. And it was a hard day for Democratic State Senator Rhonda Fields because Two of the three men on death row are there for murdering her son and his fiance. And I talked to her the day that happened, and she said it was a miscarriage of justice, and she called it a, quote, sad, sad day for Colorado. So uh, a historic event, but we never anticipated that news to happen during everything else going on with coronavirus. I was just thinking how far we've come since 2013 when Nathan Dunlap was temporarily commuted by then-Governor John Hickenlooper and Brockler was out on the west steps of the state capitol delivering 
withering criticism of Hickenlooper at that time. And now here we are seven years later and the death penalty has gone. But Brockler is still delivering withering criticism. It's just by email instead. <laughs> and tweet. And tweet. Um, but, you know, it is a remarkable turnaround. I talked to state legislators who were in the, the state house back in the 90s and the 2000s. And so it's gone from this almost taboo subject to seeming inevitable. And then finally, signed into law, the abolition of the death penalty. Across the country, governors have really been on the front line of this coronavirus pandemic. And Mm. Polis's moment in the spotlight, it's arguably unlike anything a Colorado governor has faced in decades, maybe ever. And he's had to be the bearer of a lot of tough news for the public that industries need to close and, and life as we know it will be over for a little while. The decisions are very painful. It's painful for any Colorado governor to consider the magnitude of something like closing down the downhill ski industry and the ski lifts, which is so iconic for our state. Now that Colorado has its stay-at-home order in place, 60% of the United States is under some form of stay-at-home. That's almost 200 million people. That's incredible. Uh, Colorado's goes through April 11th, but it may be likely will be extended. Um, And some were even begging the governor to issue a statewide order. Before that, there was this patchwork of orders. Denver, for instance, on Monday issued a stay-at-home order that went into effect Tuesday. Mm -hmm. In fact, the mayor initially ordered liquor stores and marijuana stores to be closed, and this created uh, a rush of buyers into these places. He quickly reversed course. Well, he told people to stock up, and that's exactly what they did. Which is the worst thing you could do right now is congregating in a small liquor store. Uh, But it is an indication that the leaders here are working without kind of a playbook right now. Colorado's disaster laws and the capabilities that are built around disaster are for fires and floods. Nobody alive has really dealt with a pandemic like this before. Yeah, usually we have disasters that you can somewhat run away from or that are a pinpoint. And now we're, we're trying to figure out how to manage millions of people who are trying to stay in their homes. Like We're, we're not designed in this society for, for this kind of thing. And I think people I've talked to you know, didn't necessarily look at what a governor could do under these circumstances. It hadn't come up before, maybe. And so you know, closing bars and restaurants and all these things, it's happened so quickly. And you know, Polis has said, even if it does mean battered industries and thousands out of work, he feels to save lives and keep the pandemic from becoming much, much worse and help the economy in the long run, he has to be able to, to take these extreme actions. Let's talk about Polis's leadership throughout this crisis in Colorado. And so far, up until this week, he was getting pretty uniformly good reviews. Republicans and Democrats have given him a lot of leeway in these extraordinary times where, as we've mentioned, it's ever-evolving and a a lot of things are happening that are unprecedented. One Republican told me he really likes and appreciates how Polis has a command of the facts and is detail-oriented and is trying to be transparent. Yeah, I've heard that too. And we'll have to see how well that holds up as the the stay-at-home order really goes into effect, as the economic impact drags on. Uh, Nationally, you've seen some conservative backlash to these mounting restrictions. You saw President Trump saying the the cure can't be worse than the disease. 
And we heard some early resistance from state lawmakers as well. Do you think that some of the criticism is because of this libertarian um, conservatism in Colorado rather than a fear about economic damage? I, I think it depends on who you talk to, Ben. I think it's both. I think there are people who feel that this is a, a sweeping government authority that would infringe on people's rights to some degree. But yep. there's also a concern about could the economic impact, you know, what's that going to mean? Yeah, especially from House Minority Leader Patrick Neville, we did hear that idea of the heavy hand of government. And it does play into traditional kind of libertarian fears about overarching government power. Now that we do have this statewide order to stay home, at least in the initial 12 hours, it seems like the response from Republicans and other potential critics has been pretty muted. Right. Uh, I talked to Senate Minority Leader Chris Holbert right after the order dropped. And earlier, he had criticized some of the local stay-at-home orders, specifically the one in his home of Douglas County. But he was more concerned that they were coming from public health agencies. He wanted to see elected officials take action. He was elected by the people of Colorado to be our governor. And whether you voted for him or not, he is our governor. He has the responsibility on his shoulders now to bring us through this crisis as best he and his team can do. What about some of the details in this stay-at-home order? Things you can do and not do, you, like, you can still go for a run or go to the park, right? You don't have to literally stay inside. Right. So, and I've heard officials constantly encouraging people to to get out, to get exercise, but of course, be responsible, keep distance from other people. Uh, Colorado's order exempts uh, workers in essential businesses, so emergency mm -hmm. services, grocery stores, pharmacies, among many others. And people can go out and get groceries, but they're advised, you know, to do it as infrequently as possible. Um, Colorado's order really is different more in timing than it is in substance uh, hmm. from other states. So Polis resisted this order for about five days ago. California announced its stay-at-home order. And we were expecting Polis pretty quickly to follow suit, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's in part because he is not that he's not concerned about public health and public safety. It's just he's hypersensitive to the economic damage of this. A near full stop to the economy has never happened before, right? Uh, Thursday yeah. morning, they reported 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits last week. Wow. The previous record was 700,000. Yeah. So it's more than almost four times the previous record. So this is totally unprecedented. Yeah, we've never seen that concentrated spike. And, you know, just from my inbox, people asking questions about, do I qualify for unemployment? You can tell the pain is intense and it's widespread. Actually, Bento got to spend a part of the day with the governor about a week before he announced the stay-at-home decision while things were still shaping up. Um, what did you see during that day? Did it seem like he was having to struggle with these questions of the more restrictive policies? Well, certainly he was juggling meetings and conference calls and a, a very, as you could imagine, jam-packed day, but it was calm and, and methodical. One of the conference calls I was on was with most of the General Assembly, about 80 lawmakers, and the, the question came up, huh. are you going to do a statewide, and they were using the phrase, shelter in place. We don't live in a... Uh uh, centrally, you know, command structure, authoritarian country like China, where people can be locked down. They're not going to be forced to not do what they want. But on that same call with lawmakers, his head of public safety said 
the state was making preparations already should it become necessary. And he made it sound like it was going to happen relatively soon. They were just trying for it to have the biggest impact and, and be successful. You know, these questions of political unity as well and how are the other lawmakers reacting are really important because I've, I've talked to public health uh, agency leaders and they say that, you know, they don't have a lot of police power to force people to stay inside. I mean, they, they can find people, arrest people, true. But what really matters is do people buy into the order? And that has a lot to do with how are their elected leaders talking about it? If their elected leaders are supportive, it's a lot more likely for the order to go smoothly. Right. And before Wednesday, I think part of the problem was you had Denver has a stay at home order, but Arapahoe County doesn't or vice versa. Mm -hmm. People are confused. And so a statewide order makes it much simpler. And I think it hits home to people that this is truly serious for everyone. And you don't end up with this patchwork of orders. We've focused a lot on Governor Polis, but we also have the state legislature that's in session and state lawmakers have have taken this pause because of coronavirus and they're scheduled to come back to the Capitol on March 30th because they only halted for two weeks. So they're likely to take another vote to, to keep this break extended, but that carries its own risk. We've already had one senator test positive for COVID-19. Another House member has a different coronavirus and is quite ill. That's right. It's serious enough that they're trying to figure out as we speak whether or not they even need to come back on Monday to do the procedural stuff to keep their break going. They really don't want to be back in the building just yet. But the state constitution does not allow lawmakers to vote remotely. That's right. That could be a problem. And there's a lot of unfinished legislative business. You know, we're, we're still waiting to hear from the Colorado Supreme Court on when lawmakers do come back, whenever they do, mm-hmm. how long can they stay in session to finish their work? And we have a lot of unfinished legislative business, some yeah. big Democratic priorities, paid family leave, public option, and the budget is outstanding. Oh, boy. Can't forget the budget. And just to make things more complicated, you've got tax revenues plummeting from sales taxes. On top of that, Governor Polis has pushed the deadline for paying state taxes back to July 15th. That's in the new fiscal year. I've talked to some uh, fiscal-oriented lawmakers. They're waiting to see how that impacts the planning for the next budget year. All we know is that this whole crisis is really going to force them to reorient state spending. Do Tabor refunds still get issued? Most likely not. That's really interesting. Yep. So that whole debate over Prop CC has essentially been wiped out. No, Nobody is set to get a refund right now. One lawmaker said, you know, when they do come back for however long, you know, he said it's a whole new world because a, a lot of the priorities may not be the focus. It, it might just be coronavirus hmm. recovery. But, you know, one interesting point that has come up in these discussions is that the state doesn't have a lot of capacity to mount a large-scale stimulus package or response. The state is stuck with these very specific rules that say you have to balance your budget, whereas the federal government, as we're seeing, can essentially print money and say, well, here's $2 trillion. So everyone is expecting a lot of the recovery money to come from the feds. So we are headed into our final segment that we like to call, wait, what? And this is where we highlight something that just kind of caught our attention in the last week. So Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of things, but I had a moment when I was, I spent quite a few hours with the governor and 
this little moment stood out. He has a lot of information he's taking in. And then also he's on these big calls. You know, he talked to more than 500 faith leaders. And then he talked to hundreds of people who work with the elderly. And then he was talking to members of the General Assembly. And he was just trying to make sure he had everything lined up before going on with them. And here was a, a little exchange between the governor and one of his staff members. Okay. Can you, what's the website? Can you write that down for me? The popular the super duper website. And then the website he's talking about is Help Colorado Now, and it's something he's been directing people to if they have questions about how to help with coronavirus. This is the governor who made his fortune on the internet, by the way. <laughs> well, he's got a lot of URLs to keep track of. Is it uh, helpcoloradonow.com? It's helpcoloradonow.org. By the way, my wait one has just been getting all these alerts, my phone just buzzing like crazy, scary every single time can't put it down i know you're supposed to not always look at your phone but in our line of profession it's kind <laughs> so of, i've been told yeah <laughs> that's it for this week's episode purplish is a production of member supported colorado public radio learn about becoming a member and join today at cpr.org i'm benta berkland with my colleagues andrew kenny and ben marcus this episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Furley. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show on iTunes, and to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm Andy K-N-N-Y. And I'm at Benta Brooklyn. And I'm at CPR Marcus. That's with a K. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. Whose children are those? <laughs> Probably mine. Oh, okay. uh, well, that's how it is. <laughs>